0: The theatre of British politics. Rishi Sunak is the new, new Prime Minister, announced this afternoon after Liz Truss resigned last Thursday and after former Prime Minister Boris Johnson pulled out of the leadership race last night. The latest events truly represent a spectacle in British political theatre, with seemingly only a small proportion of the crowd, namely us, the British populace, finding themselves in applause. Widespread calls already trending on social media for a general election. Mixed reactions amongst the Conservative Party itself. Join me tonight as I digest the reaction from across the web whilst offering my own reflections on the latest developments within British politics. Well, theatre indeed. We really are putting on a show for the rest of the world as it stands it seems, uh, quite ludicrously facing our third uh, prime minister in feels like weeks now. Um, somebody shared a, a graphic online saying that we've had four maybe coming up to the fifth chancellor in as many months. It really is becoming laughable what's happening in British politics. Meanwhile, the country's in chaos. The economy is up and down like a yo-yo, Um the market <laughs> is is driving chaos in itself. You know, We have to think about what the market is and the hedge funds involved in <laughs> driving the political response. Who really um, calls the shots? How long will Sunak last? All these questions are being asked. How will the market respond? What will the people ask? What will they demand? Can Sunak unite the country? He gave his first rather stale... Um, speech earlier on today very short very sharp uh, stating that there is no doubt that we face a profound economic challenge and that we now need stability and unity I certainly agree with those two points and he goes on to say he'll make it his utmost priority to bring the conservatives and the country together because that's the only way we'll become overcome the challenges that we face and build a better more prosperous future for our own children our grandchildren these are the words of rishi sunak early on today that goodness he didn't use the phrase build back better he did go down the road of building a better more prosperous future which i think all of us require right now we do or wish i hope for a more prosperous future than the one we're currently facing right now with the economic challenges we're witnessing he goes on to say that he will pledge to serve us with integrity and humility and will work day in day out to deliver for the British people. Integrity is a, k- a key word. Uh, humility is another interesting one, kind of trust came in with all this bluster uh, and kind of almost faux force that she was going to come in and take this really ruthless approach to growing the economy. And I think as I shared in my kind of assessment of the political hustings where I had the opportunity to kind of look behind the scenes at the Conservative Party within the leadership contest, I reflected back then that trust really didn't seem congruent. It seemed like words and deeds were not going to match. And I think her outcome is a reflection partly of that and the lack of humility that comes with that. Integrity is a key piece that I'm sure has been shot to pieces across the political realm. I I find myself looking for integrity within politics and often find myself wanting, you know, where where do you look for integrity within politics? uh, Integrity within politics. You know, those that are calling for a general election clearly think that the grass could be greener on the other side. But the reality is you're facing between Rishi Sunak, which I'll go on to talk more about in a moment, and Keir Starmer at Labour and Sarah Davey at at the Lib Dems. Let's be real. A lot of the people who followed the pandemic podcast that preceded the Elevate podcast over the last couple of years would be deeply concerned about a Labour government who campaigned for stronger, harder more intense restrictions. And let's be real, um, (laughs) you know, Labour is trying to position itself as the kind of party for the people. And I'll talk more about that in a moment. But Keir Starmer himself, you know, with all the fuss that's going on about Sunak and his wealth and all this sort of thing and uh, and his connections to the WEF. And I'll comment on that throughout this uh, episode. Keir Starmer is associated with the Trilateral Commission, another organisation funded and founded by the Rockefellers. You know, it's another wealthy elite club that has undue influence on the world. So it's hardly Mr. Working Class uh, with his working class hero, you know, standing up for the people with his own, you know, 7 million um, net worth. Granted, Sunak's family worth is 100 times that, but we're not exactly talking about, you know, Mr. Off the Streets doing it for the people within (laughs) Labour. Uh, so I do find the whole thing ironic and laughable and part of the old political game that we're facing. And then Ed Davey, successful business leader, but seemingly, you know, I just find the Lib Dems are just a very wet party. What do they actually stand for? You know, in principle, they the, the clue is in the title, liberal democracy, Lib Dems. We'd all have a liberal democracy, I'm sure, particularly one that focuses on freedoms and rights and prosperity and a democratic government but we just don't see a strong party there so all of those people kind of rallying today with the you know getting behind the hashtag general election now you know it's just like really like really have you really thought about what choices you'll be facing if we actually face the general election right now you know surely the chaos now of just going right right this winter, you know, this winter of discontent where the economy is shot, people are worried about how they're going to pay the bills, rising inflation, you know, double digit inflation, interest rates going up, mortgage costs going up, all of these things. Do you think we really need months of political posturing where these three parties and other fringe parties p- play out to try and win? the battle of the general election. Do you think that's really helpful right now? I'm sure some people would be yelling at me saying, yes, it is, Dan, because now we've got Sunak in, what's going to happen, blah, blah, blah. I get it. I get the frustration of all the British people right now. That, but let's just take a step back and just see how frustrating the overall political machine is first before we get into the detail of the individuals, the parties and the, the prospects. Let's be real. The political machine in the United Kingdom is clearly broken and it's clearly not going to be uh, repaired by any of the incumbent parties. They can all talk the talk, but it's not going to change anything because the system itself is broken and We saw in the last few weeks how you know we don't have a democracy in the United Kingdom. You know the illusion of democracy is very clear now to see. If you can't open your eyes and witness that your vote really counts for nothing, your vote might help to get you know someone across the line and in power. It may contribute a small part if the elections are fair and just, (laughs) which which they're probably not. Um, But the reality is, as we've seen in the last couple of weeks, the money men, and it is the money men, sorry for those of you who who prefer, you know, we had a a more equal world. We don't. That's the reality. We've just got these, you know, largely um, white middle-class men, uh, well, you know, not middle-class, white elite men who control the world through their money we can see that right now and that is i'm not i'm not advocating for that in any way it's unjust it's wrong but they control the political sentiment you know and it's quite clear that trust did not meet the requirements of the political elite and therefore was booted out whether sunak is responded to differently who time will tell my, my gut reaction is it won't I, my gut reaction is the market will also be pushing for a general election because the market is reflective of the overall progressive politics that is currently rising in prominence across the world. You know, the same political prominence that has brought this kind of woke culture, this um, ESG, um, World Economic Sponsored kind of new way of stakeholder governance. All of this has been driven in the shadows by the same forces And they're all dressed up as these lovely things that are good for the planet, but they're all authoritarianism in disguise. They're all neo-fascism in disguise, where corporations (laughs) run the world. Or neo-feudalism, people get get a little tense when they hear the word fascism. Neo-feudalism, it's a much more polite word for saying the the corporates run the world, (laughs) which they do. So, yes, we have the illusion of democracy. We can bang our fists and say, let's have a general election, the system's broken. But... To be honest, it's just more noise. If we really want change, we have to really think about how do we build the thing up from the ground up for the new world that we live in, you know, for the modern digital world that we live in. The reality is we do live in a technologically advanced world compared to five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 50 years ago, 100 years ago. So we need to build a political system that is fit for the new world, the modern world. Ah. None of the current governments are going to do that. No, they're going to maintain the status quo, and maintain the establishment, the established order. doesn't matter who's in, they'll all be doing that, as I've already previously referenced. Now, back onto the point of the political theatre talking about Sunak coming into power today. Well, I've shared a little bit about what he's shared in his very brief speech. I'm sure there'll be more to come addressing the nation. But he also told MPs today prior to his public announcement his ambition is to have a highly productive UK economy, Stressing a commitment to levelling up, closing in on that bill, but better. Just, <laughs> um, uh, just, it's all political posturing. They've all, they always, the same language, uh, and the pledges of the 2019 manifesto. He said that the party backed low taxation, but had to be affordable and deliverable. You know, he did offer some warnings to trust about what would happen if she followed through the plan that she uh, put forth, which led, which led to such backlash. But again, we'll talk more about that because. It really is not reflect to me it's not really reflective of the real problems here uh, but he said that a stable and productive economy would be the engine that drove a well-funded health and education service as well as delivering on net zero carbon emissions instead of so being an extremely environmentally focused government so really trying to tick all the uh trendy boxes right now there you know with political platitudes a lot of political platitudes there but stating that there'll be no early election time will tell the pressure is going to be ramping up this all over social media. The market may decide that they, uh, they, they, they've they had enough of a right wing government and therefore would like to push for uh, something that moves further left. You know, the market may make that decision and therefore Sunak will be under a lot of pressure and the key will be, well, can he stand his ground? And I always point out to people as I do these broadcasts that I have no political allegiance over the years. I find myself someone who is deeply politically homeless. I've voted for the blues, the reds, the greens and the yellows over my political lifetime and I have no allegiance. I try to vote for the individual and the party who I feel will best serve the nation at that given time, which is always a difficult choice because I'm always left feeling like none of them are a good option. And every day at at the last few months, I've got back to that point thinking, I've always thought I can make a bigger difference to the world through entrepreneurial activities from outside the system. But every day of the last weeks, I've been thinking, is it time just to suck it up and go into politics and try and do something different? But, you know, uh, at this stage, I can only see some of the problems and not even all the problems and the depths of problems, let alone being able to think about what would be a a, uh, a more a more reasonable solution for the modern world you know the, I, but i do think we should be starting that conversation between us i think we should be looking at this you know what what is a better alternative is that is there something out there that we could start to pursue because ultimately the political theater with us in the audience the spectators laughing at the spectacle meanwhile suffering the consequences has to change you know we can no longer be the passive observers of the chaos of our world We have to be the active participants of of change and creation. We have to think about how we can actually, you know, despite our busy lives, contribute at least some of our time to thinking about what can we do differently and get out of this apathetic zone that we find ourselves in. And I, I'm speaking the Royal we here. Don't worry. I'm not criticizing you individually. That's not what I'm doing here. I'm just saying more broadly, if we want things to change, then we have to somehow be the catalyst for that change. So, there is very little positive response today to any of the the uh, uh, announcements of Sunak taking charge. Obviously, his backers are very positive. I'm sure certain contingents within the Conservative ranks are very happy. But there's there's a deeper dissatisfaction within the British populace which is playing out here, and it's not just political dissatisfaction. You know, in this, as 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 the economy starts to show cracks, what tends to happen is. History plays this out. I remember it during the uh, 2008 2009 recession as well, and how it how how when standards of living are reasonable or in growth for most people, there's there's generally a lack of internal conflict within the nation. And Ray Dalio's video, you know, his video on market cycles, global cycles, also speaks into this. But uh, as a, as a, another source on this, but when when the economy starts to show cracks. That's when you start to see the internal fissures. You start to see the, uh, the, the wealth divide becoming more um, visceral. And actually what that does is it, 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 people become more vocal about those problems and looking for solutions, looking to the government to, to redistribute wealth, to actually create a more equal environment. And people turn to the government to try and create that. And I've always looked at that with kind of a admiration to some degree that people wish that the government would be the ones who would solve the kind of injustices and inequalities within society. And, you know, maybe there is a place for that. But I also, in, another part of me looks at that as kind of looking to like mum and dad, you know, we had this like paternalistic relationship with the government, which has really played out in the last couple of years. And it's almost like, you know, you look at the rich and the poor, as like one sibling has got more than the other, and you want the parents to come and sort it out. So that it's fair again, between the people, I kind of you know, uh, see how hard parents do that. You know, my own upbringing, even at Christmas, like my parents would always try and make sure my, my sister and I had like the same amount of presents, you know, it's like that relationship to make sure everyone has a fair upbringing within their family. And I'm sure everyone's got different family upbringings may not be reflective of that, but it's almost like this paternalistic relationship that we have with the state looking for the state to fix these problems. And as I said, it's a noble cause. Perhaps they should have greater intervention in the wealth divide. And certainly looking at how these major corporations have undue influence. You know, it's quite clear governments are bought. You know, it's quite clear that they're infiltrated by these uh, global globalist institutions, the World Economic Forum. Yet people still treat it like a conspiracy theory. It's insane. How can you call it a conspiracy theory? It's quite evident. <laughs> it's quite evident that the uh, the level of influence that major uh, elite individuals and organisations have over governments, not just the British government, but all Western governments, and likely further afield. But certainly, I can evidence it firsthand uh, looking at the influences of these types of organisations in Western in the Western economies. So it's quite clear that we have a problem, but I also think we have to be thinking about how we take our own futures into our own hands and that's individually as well as collectively as a society. You know, I remember, I remember when I made, I made a choice in my political history, when I, I voted aspirationally, I voted for the party that I wanted to represent my future self. At the time I'd gone through a lot of stress, struggle and sacrifice. I'd gone broke starting my business. And I was dreaming for a better life of myself, but I wasn't looking to the government. Yes, I did actually you know, turn to the government for support when I was right on my knees. I also turned to my own family. And that's what we tend to do. And, I've, I, I, you know, when we're, when we're broken and when we're facing our darkest days, we, we have to look to others for help. and We have to find the courage to ask for help. That can be hard. And that's without deviating into my own personal story it's important that we do have support mechanisms out there for us, for those who struggle, you know, and I've been through my own fest share of struggles in many different ways. Um, but I remember also, as I've shared on the podcast before, when when I went once went to my family to, for support, when I'd run out of money, like they said no. They'd previously supported me and they would always support me. They'll never let me go hungry or homeless. But it was that decision to say, no, you've got to stand on your own two feet that gave me the impetus to finally stand up and say, you know what, I'm taking full responsibility for my own future and you know it became a turning point in my life and I I put I continued going through stress and struggle and sacrifice but my goodness I turned things around and sometimes I feel when I look at society it's like we need a little bit more of that personal responsibility like we've seen personal responsibility almost like demonized that it's someone else's responsibility what happened to, to you know taking responsibility for our own lives and the lives around us that's again it's not stating that we don't need other mechanisms when we're down on our knees or when we need uh, uh, you know when we've got other other challenges. It's not saying that we shouldn't have that, but I'm saying if we want to get into this growth economy, then it's not just on the politicians it's on us surely surely it's on us to actually go out there and, and take action to make 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 our own lives better society better and contribute to the world around us. Yes, we can. We can. We can campaign for greater support for those who need it. But right now, for those of us, you know, we've got to have more aspiration. I think you know, we've got to be thinking aspirationally if we want things to change. We have to be the change. Anyway, side note, <laughs> side rant. Um, so I said there'll be no early election, as I said. Uh, although opposition parties are already clamouring for one, you know. The, Labour have gone full into and again I just I just want to be very clear like I have no allegiance I'm quite happy to pour poor scorn on the Conservatives as much as I am on Labour, the Libs, Greens, whoever else you know it's about taking a political view on this and seeing what the challenge is and already the opposition are pushing for a, a, an early election um, uh, to to change things around but, but we have to I just think we just got to be adults and be like right Right, screw it! I don't care what what we think about Sunak, the Conservatives, how broken the party is. Let's give the guy a chance. Maybe, maybe we do need to actually just sit back and go. Let's support someone for a change. I'm not saying that <laughs> we should support Sunak or that either one of you should 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 find favour in him. But at some point, we've got to be right. Let's just get this house in order. Let's just get Britain moving again. Let's get things going. Let's let's actually give it a shot. Because if we keep stop starting, we're going to be one of the laughing stock of Europe if we're not already. So, you know, I think there has to be some level of patience and put our own egos aside and put our own views aside and say, wait, we need a bit of time and space to actually resolve some of the problems Britain's facing and actually play our part in, in, in doing that. But obviously there's many challenges out there. The public, you know, don't trust Sunak, a lot of them. Um, certainly the opposition don't. But also the main, some of the main people within the Conservative Party don't. You know, uh, my recent podcast guest, I've seen that Christopher Chope, he's the MP for Christchurch, uh, who's a Johnson supporter, warned already today that Sunak has previously been seen as undermining both Boris Johnson and Liz Truss. And this could lose loyalty within the Conservatives. So there's already, you know, divided ranks within the Conservative Party. They're saying that he doesn't have the mandate, you know, but the election would give him the mandate. But I still come back to that point that it would be absolute chaos for the country for the next few months. Is that short term pain, long term gain? You tell me. What do you think in the comments? Tell me what your thoughts are. Should we be going through a general election right now? Should we go through that process? Would that give a fair and final mandate to a a prime minister? Is it a waste of time? Long term, I think it's a waste of time. But tell me right now, what do you think in the comments? Let me know what you think. Should we be having a general election? Now, um, we're certainly, uh, looking at the global press, <laughs> looking at the headline, the headlines in France last week, they said that, um, that the prime minister's departure plunges Britain into profound and unprecedented political crisis, noting that this week we'll learn the name of the third conservative prime minister in three months. And they're absolutely right. So the, the people from outside are looking at us, um, <laughs> As a bit of a laughing stock, so we have to do something to turn things around. We ha- we certainly do have to go for stability. Now, on Sunak himself, let's talk a little bit about the character. So, a lot is being made in lieu of what I've just shared around how he's the richest MP in Parliament, um, and therefore, you know, will be a boon for the financial lobby. Tax justice campaigners are warning this is going to be a problem. Uh, people are saying that, uh, or critics are saying that Sunak's not exactly been transparent with his own financial interests, that his hedge fund background raises questions about his commitment to fighting tax avoidance. He's been through a slick personal marketing campaign to disguise the man with an ultra-privileged background. There's a lot of fuss about his private school upbringing. But again, I, you, to me, like you kind of have to take a lot of that with a pinch of salt. Let's be real. Again, parliamentary those those people in Parliament, MPs, most of them have come from a privileged background. <laughs> most of them have come from you know the Eton's of the world and the, the private schools and wealthy backgrounds. Most of them have. That's my point around the system, the establishment being what it is. Focusing on one individual to me is almost fruitless. It's futile. What about everyone else? It's the same thing. It's the same problem. But at the same time, you know why why does the wealth why should the wealth of the parliamentary ministers come into it it's it's really about this whole piece around not being able to relate with those who do not have such wealth and and that's a real concern how do you represent the interests of people who who haven't been through that who don't have that level of resource or wealth so i think there has to be a much more diverse set of backgrounds and experiences within parliament again this is something we need to look at as a as a country about how we actually comprise the political system but as it stands Let's be real. There are plenty of ultra-privileged, ultra-wealthy people in politics that doesn't make it right, but we just got to face the facts. A lot of people have come from private schools. A lot of them have come from privileged backgrounds. That is part of the problem, but we aren't going to change it by just focusing on one man. That's the reality. If we want things to change, we have to look for change. A lot of people are going to be speaking about covid you know, it's coming up to winter. You, you know, the, 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 the vaccine machine is kicking in again. Watch this space for more, more conversation on this. But Sunak uh, finally did speak out about the response to COVID. And according to an internal source, he was actually one of the most consistent pushing uh, for the watering down of COVID restrictions in the cabinet. Um, you know, he uh, said that the government was given too much power. Uh, and that scientists had too much influence during lockdowns. Uh, He said that uh, the SAGE committee was not honest about the downsides of policies. He was critical of the public health posters that were plastered around the country, of uh, scaring people, fear-mongering. So he's actually been quite critical around some of the COVID policies, which I know will be important to most of our listeners who have come from the pandemic podcast. And he said that, you know, he was effectively blocked from... Raising concerns about the negative trade-offs of policies such as lockdown and the, the, the you know the the hospital backlogs and the the effect of children upon children and that too much effort was focused on the fear narrative, you know. So that's a positive sign, but uh, we can't forget that he paid a pivotal role <laughs> in his role as chancellor, spending 376 billion on trying to tackle COVID, including some of the flawed contracts and crony contracts. You know, it's 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 all part of the same problem. But i tell you something, with all the fuss that we've seen in the last couple of weeks, the $376 billion spend on COVID makes the $5 billion spent on cutting the basic rate of income tax and the $2 billion spent on removing the 45% top rate of income tax makes both of those things look small fry. I've talked about that on the previous episode on this subject. You know, this is why you have to ask, what's it really all about? What's it really all about? The other element is that, you know, Sunak, if you remember back in 2020, was one of many ministers who were uh, invested in companies that stood to profit from the pandemic. Sunak's hedge fund had invested in Moderna. Sunak refused to say if he had profit. You know, but there are so many politicians. Half the Sage Committee. You know, the sixteen of the top twenty Sage advisors were uh, were connected to pharma. You know, we have this huge conflict of interest. We have this huge corruption within government. But again, this isn't just down to one man or one politician. This is a systemic. Issue, it's a systemic issue. Um, links to the World Economic Forum. You know Sunak's faces on the on the website, as was Liz Truss's. Um, you know his family uh, uh, alleged to have ties to one of the big companies that are partners of the World Economic Forum, Infosys. You know there's a lot of stuff flying around on that uh, right now, and I'm a big uh, someone who has big concerns about the role of the World Economic Forum over politics. Uh, and uh, global policy but i a lot of the smoke and mirrors around sunak i don't you know there are clear links there but i i need to dig deeper because you know saying that you know infosys are linked to the kind of chinese communist party and advocating for trackable digital identities and currency we know those things are big on the wef agenda but I don't really see direct ties to Sunak and his family pushing that. So I think the jury has to remain out on that. But of course people want to jump on that piece because that's the most shocking information that you could put out there. But I think we need to be more nuanced. It's not saying that he doesn't have any links, you know, of course. But then again, let's take a step back. Every major company in the world is connected to the World Economic Forum. Every major political leader, every person of influence, it's all part of the same club. Again. We've got to look at this systemically. We can't just start singling people out. We've got to look at the bigger problem, the bigger picture, recognising that these big, centralised, unelected organisations have huge influence over our world, over um, domestic policy as well as international policy. We've got to start looking at where the real problems is and not, not the, small, the small issues where an individual does or does not have contact to a particular organisation. We've got to look at the systemic issue. Again, already talked about Starmer, the alternative, you know, part of the Trilateral Commission, you know, founded and launched by David Rockefeller, an exclusive club of 400 organisations. You know, there's plenty more of these highly influential organisations that the politicians uh, belong to. So what we really need to be asking is how do we end the political theatre? How do we do something better? How do we create a better uh, political environment in order to operate in? How do we actually create a democratic uh, environment for for the public to participate in, and the reality is, despite despite the fact that we're seeing organisations like the World Economic Forum have more and more power over our governments, political party membership is is uh, at an all time low. I've already said within this party, this 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 party, this political broadcast, <laughs> this political commentary that I have myself no political affiliation. I'm not a member of any political party, so I'm part of the problem. But at least I'm thinking politically, and I know many of you are. Those of you who regularly comment on our videos, you are thinking politically. What can we do? We're looking for solutions, and that's what we have to be doing right now. We have to be very clear what the real problems are. We've got to get away from the kind of dance of what's what's shocking, what's most hysterical, what's most sensational, which is what alternative media, as well your mainstream media uh, and alternative media share in common. It's all about like finding the find the common find the problem that makes people go, oh, gasp, horror. We've got to move away from that chaos and get straight into, okay, big picture thinking. What are the real core problems that we need to solve? And how do we start to actually create change? How do we actually start to imagine different solutions? But ultimately, the first step is we have to be willing to step off the sidelines and to start examining the real issues and be willing to stand up for change. You know, in our own unique way, we're all busy people. You know, what is the solution? If I had the solution, I'd be talking about it but we least have to be starting to look for the solution we have to be exploring and to many of the different components there are solutions out there localization there's, there's 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 many there's many entrepreneurial as well as political solutions to many of the unique challenges that the economy is facing the reality is they're out there we just need to amplify fortify coordinate um we got we just got to start thinking differently so who knows what the future will hold but uh, my personal view is we need, a, we need to get order. We need to get a bit of political order and stability. And we've got to stop scrapping between the left, the right, you know, the ups and the downs, the haves and the haves-nots. And we've got to get together and start focusing on making things better. And I personally believe making the economy more prosperous, making a healthier nation, making it a happier nation, is in our own hands. You know, yes, we can call upon the politicians and the government for support, but quite frankly... I believe that change begins with ourselves and if we can't take responsibility for our own actions and our own world well why would we expect anyone else to stand up for us if we can't stand up for ourselves uh so to me personally it's about how do we how do we actually find a way to make a difference to our own lives so we can live a life of freedom and flourishing uh and and so that we can individually and societally thrive in harmony with the world around us so we can actually live in uh in harmony with one another and the world that we live in. So what is the answer? I don't know. You tell me. If you've got the answers, post them in the comments. Should we have a general election? What are your thoughts on CNAC? What are your thoughts on any of the alternatives out there? Tell me what your thoughts are in the comments. I'm sure we'll do further broadcasts on this. Uh, Coming up later this week, my next interview is coming out on Thursday. I recorded it at the Better Way conference in Vienna. It's with Dr. Jessica Rose. She has been relentlessly and tirelessly picking apart the bears uh, data to try and truly understand and disseminate some of the risks of the, uh, uh, the injection protocols that we've been subjected to at scale over the last couple of years. It's a fascinating interview because we go into the person behind the, the, the action. Of course, there's lots we can talk about in terms of the actual uh, adverse reaction data, but it's a fascinating interview that we'll be putting out on Thursday. Um, There are ways you can get early access to that before we publish it. If you visit the Elevate Network at weareelevate.org, you can find out how to get early access to all of our content. So you can watch that space here. And we've also got two uh, exciting events coming up within the Elevate Network. We're putting on a COVID public inquiry panel next week with a series of uh, doctors, commentators, to come and look at the the, the latest of the COVID public inquiry. Because whilst all this political theatre is going on, there is other activity uh, uh, which are which are kind of falling in the dark, in the shadows of all the chaos. Uh, but the political uh, the political chaos has already overshadowed the COVID public inquiry, which has begun quietly. Of course, we're going to be doing a full episode next Monday on the on the latest developments of the COVID inquiry, and we'll also that same week be hosting a panel event where you can participate in that panel discussion around what's what's happening in the COVID inquiry. We've also got a very exciting. Um, private screening of the Safe and Effective documentary, a director's cut where we'll be having a short talk from the creators, Mark Sharman and the team at Oracle uh, about um, the film, Safe and Effective, the documentary that many of you may have already seen. We'll also be screening screening the film and taking Q&A. So we've got some exciting events coming up inside the Elevate Network. If you're not already part of the Elevate Network, it's our private change maker community where we're exploring many of the issues like I've just discussed here tonight. You can come and share your views, come and share the different content and discussions that's happening around the world, meet like minded people, in a solution focused, uplifting community. Come and join us at WeAreElevate.org if you'd like to find out more about the community and the events that we've got coming up. Thanks very much for tuning in today. Please hit the share button. Uh, we're still l- <laughs> dealing with the legacy censorship of the pandemic era, which is still obviously, you know, the COVID chapter isn't over. Uh, but uh, we're still dealing with the censorship problems that we faced over the last couple of years. So please hit the share button, help us break the algorithms and uh, come and join our community uh, to, uh, to continue the conversation at weareelevate.org. Have a great evening. Let me know your thoughts on today's conversation and I look forward to seeing you on our next episode of the Elevate podcast. Peace out.